The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Unfiltered podcast. On this show, we interview mental health professionals about abusive, toxic and healthy relationships. It is our hope that these interviews help you cultivate safe relationships. One boundary setting tool to help with this is called the broken record technique. The other person may say something like, well, let's meet at my house. And you can say something like, well, I'd like for us to meet in a public location. How about Joe's Cafe? You're not straying or getting distracted by ad hominem attacks. You're just getting your point across. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Taylor. She's a coach and licensed psychologist based in California. She helps adult children of narcissistic parents stop walking on eggshells and step into their power and purpose. Her clients are acutely perceptive of others' needs but struggle to put themselves first. Dr. Taylor helps them come home to themselves and grow in self-love, acceptance and worth. Today's episode is all about protecting yourself from the five manipulation tactics used by narcissists. We will be going through five common tactics that narcissists use to control and manipulate others. But don't worry, we won't leave you hanging. Dr. Taylor will be sharing practical tips and strategies for protecting yourself against these tactics so you can stay in control of your own life. So, if you want to learn how to defend yourself against these five manipulation tactics, then you won't want to miss this episode. Hi Taylor, thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. Hi Juliana, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. That's nice to hear. So let's get started with the questions. And the question number one is the phrase home court refers to a manipulation tactic that occurs when someone insists on meeting you in a specific location because it will help them control and or manipulate you more easily. For example, if you had to have an important conversation with the abusive person in your life, but they refuse to meet in a public place like you asked and offer to meet at their house instead, this would be considered home court. How can someone protect themselves from this type of manipulation? That's a really good question. Yeah, the tactic of home court is a common one that's used by folks with narcissistic tendencies to really try to gain control and manipulate their victims. Um, wanting control is their MO and they'll really try everything in their power to maintain that control. So here are some ways that someone can protect themselves from this particular type of manipulation. I'd say number one is stand firm in your boundaries. It's really important to be clear about what you are and are not comfortable with and to communicate those boundaries to the other person. If you're not comfortable meeting in their home, be firm and insist on meeting in a neutral location or a place where you feel safe. One boundary setting tool to help with this is called the broken record technique. So the other person may say something like, well, let's meet at my house. And you can say something like, well, 
I'd like for us to meet in a public location. How about Joe's Cafe? And they might say, why are you trying to make this so complicated? Why can't we just meet at my house? You'd say, it's important for me, to, for us, to meet at a public location. Then they might respond with something like, you're being ridiculous. Why are you so afraid to come to my house? You always do this. You make things about you and, and what you want. And you say, I'd like to meet at a public location. So you're staying the course, you're getting your point across, you're not straying or getting distracted by ad hominem attacks. You're just getting your point across. I would say another tactic to use is use a support, a support person. Bring a trusted friend or a family member with you to the meeting, especially if you're worried about being manipulated or controlled, or if you fear for your physical safety. Um, this, this is the person that can provide emotional support and can also be a witness to the conversation. If you're unable to bring a support person, um, then you can just let the trusted person know the address of the meeting, when you'll be arriving, when you'll be leaving their house, and then make sure you have a plan in place. For example, if I don't call you by 3 p.m. when the meeting is over, then show up to the house. Another tidbit is that you can always record the conversation if absolutely needed. Um, I would say another thing is to consider the time of the meeting and if possible, try to schedule the meeting at a time when you feel most confident and in control. You can avoid meeting, for example, when you're feeling exhausted or overwhelmed because this, these kinds of feelings can make us feel more vulnerable to the manipulation. Um, and then also have an exit plan. It's always a good idea to have a plan in place in case you need to leave the meeting early or if the situation becomes unsafe for whatever reason. Make sure that you have a way to get home or to, um, or to a safe place if necessary. So one, one idea for that is to bring your own transportation so that you can leave their house at any time. I would say, in addition, plan to do something kind for yourself after the meeting. Call a loved one, take a walk, go out to lunch with a supportive friend. Do some self-care for yourself to recharge your batteries after a difficult and probably emotionally draining meeting. And then lastly, if you haven't already done so, seek professional support if you're really struggling to cope with an abusive relationship and are having that trouble setting boundaries. Um, it may be helpful to seek the support of a therapist or a coach that has experience working with survivors of this type of abuse. Um, and you can always learn those tools and, and get support that you need to navigate these really challenging situations. Thank you so much. Uh, one question, is it always, are there any kind of laws prohibiting recording conversations or is it always that you can do it? You know, I'm not entirely sure about that. Um, so because I'm not a lawyer, I don't really know the legal rules. That's definitely something to consider. I, I don't want to be giving you advice that's that's ill-advised um so definitely check with a with a legal advisor if you have one um because i don't know i do know that people have turned to that in the past um so it is an op it, it seems to be an option that people turn to but again i would have to consult with with 
legal counsel about that to know the exact laws about it. Okay, okay, great. Thank you so yeah. much. Uh, then the next one is the phrase time dominance refers to a manipulation tactic that occurs when someone controls the length of the interaction that you are having with them to their advantage. For example, if you needed to have an important conversation with the abusive person in your life, but they kind of shut you down by saying something like, I only have a few minutes, so you need to make this quick. This would be considered time dominance. How can someone stand up for themselves in this type of situation? Yeah, another great question. Again, that's another tactic to take control of the situation. So I would say number one, communicate your needs, be clear about what you need in the interaction and, and communicate that to the person. If you need more time to discuss something important, be direct and assertive in stating those needs. I would say also don't allow yourself to be rushed. If the other person is trying to rush you, try to stay calm and focused. I know that can be really hard to do, but acknowledge that their behavior is likely a manipulation technique to throw you off. Um, so don't allow yourself to be rushed or pressured into making decisions that you're not comfortable with. Um, a third item I would note here is schedule a time for the conversation where you both will have no distractions and you'll both have adequate time to dedicate to the conversation if you can. And then to come into it planfully and prepared, you might think about preparing bullet points ahead of time to just ensure that you communicate your desired points. And some tips to do in your communication, it's helpful with this type of person to use I statements so when you're communicating, um, these I statements express your thoughts, your feelings, as opposed to using you statements that might make the other person feel blamed or on the defense. And so this can really help to avoid conflict. And it can also make it clearer that you're speaking from your own perspective and you're not trying to blame or attack the other person. Because what happens when the other person feels blamed or attacked their defenses go up, they immediately shut down, and then you're less likely to get your needs met in that conversation. Um, and if you are looking for tools to help you with effective communication, there's so many tools out there. In particular, I'll throw out, there's Dear Man, which is a DBT skill. There's also nonviolent communication. Both of those are great. Both of those would take a whole other podcast to talk about, um, but you can look them up. They're great resources for effective and clear communication. Um, and then lastly, I would say, you know, setting boundaries. I, I'm going to sound like a broken record myself. <laughs> setting boundaries um, is so important with a person who uses this tactic. Let them know that you're not going to tolerate this kind of behavior and that you have the right to get your needs met. Um, and then lastly, on the flip side, I would say potentially that this idea of radical acceptance might be helpful in this scenario. Just radically accepting that you may not be able to control their behavior or their ability to engage in a meaningful or effective conversation. And that can be really hard to accept, um, but it's probably something that it, it's very common with this population. Um, and so that might be a tool that's helpful in your journey. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Even though it's hard, but understanding really the parts that you can control and what you can't can reduce any kind of rumination before or after. And uh, yeah, and what came to my mind was that you should also prepare either not to have any expectations at all about the conversation. It kind of a little bit goes what you said about the radical acceptance, but also like we are here trying to be, you know, using I statements, being calm, not getting triggered, not getting into their manipulation. It's, uh, it seems like a little bit unjust that you have to be this so adult in that situation when the other person is, for example, mocking your bullet lists or like, like, are you, did you really bring a, like a bullet list with you? Like, are you serious? So it's, it's really hard. <laughs> really yeah. Hard. It's emotionally daunting. It's, uh, it's, they're, that's why they're very, very good manipulation tactics because they're scary. They scare people. And, and, you know, as an empathic, kind, thoughtful person, we're not used to that sort of treatment and we wouldn't think of treating other people like that. So to receive that, it's jarring. Yeah. Okay. But thank you so much for your tips. They were very helpful. And of course. Then the number three is the phrase making you wait refers to a manipulation tactic that occurs when you ask someone to do something important for you. They agree, but then they make, but then makes you wait on them to show that they are the one in control. For example, if the abusive person in your life agrees to babysit for you so you can go to work, but then shows up an hour late. What advice do you have that can help someone protect themselves from this type of manipulation? Yeah, another tough situation. So again, set those boundaries and communicate clearly up front. Um, Make sure that this person understands that you have specific needs and that you're counting on them to meet those needs. And if possible, try to set some deadlines for when you need those things to be done, because this can help avoid any confusion. And it can also give you a clear point at which to follow up with them if necessary. So for example, you might say something like, thank you for offering a babysit. If you're willing to help, I will need you to arrive by 12 p.m. If you're unable to show up at this time, I will need to, I will find another babysitter. So then let's say in that scenario, let's say that they still should, they still end up showing up late. In that case, I find there's a saying that I find particularly helpful. And that is when people show you who they are, believe them. In other words, this person showed you that they don't respect your boundaries. So don't give them another opportunity to violate your boundaries again. Mm. So with that being said, don't be afraid to seek alternative solutions. If this person is consistently unreliable or fails to follow through on their commitments with you, it may be necessary to seek alternative solutions, which could mean finding someone else to help you or rearranging your plans, which might take some sacrifice on your part. But what that would do is alleviate you from from relying on them. And that leads me to my final point, which is 
if you have the means to do so, try to construct your life in a way so that you do not have to rely on this person for support. That may be realistic for some people. It may not be for others. You might experience grief and sadness because you cannot rely on them in the way that you wanted. And that's very normal to feel those feelings. And part of your healing may require that radical acceptance that we were talking about earlier, that this person is not likely to change and and probably never will. And you may not be able to rely on them ever in the way that you're needing. And so finding other ways to live your life and get the support that you need, um, it may require some creative thinking on your part so that you're not relying on this person. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Um, Then we have the phrase, Putting you on the spot refers to a manipulation tactic that occurs when someone forces you into a hard conversation without giving you time to prepare or asks you a difficult question in front of a group of people. For example, the abusive person asking you tough political questions that you feel uncomfortable answering in front of a group of people. How can someone protect themselves from this type of manipulation when it is happening? So in this scenario, number one, I would say, take a moment to collect your thoughts. You don't have to respond right away. If you're feeling caught off guard by a difficult question or a conversation, it's okay to take a moment to collect your thoughts. You can say something like, can I have a minute to think about that? Or could we discuss this in private? You can even say, Um, you know, I'm feeling uncomfortable and a bit put on the spot by that question. Or if that feels too vulnerable for you, you can simply say, I'm not comfortable to take, uh, you know, talking about this in this space and I'm going to change the subject. If you do want to answer the question, um, you, but you're not sure what to say, you can say something like, well, thanks for asking. I'd like some time to think about my response and I'll get back to you on that. Or I prefer to talk about these topics in a one-on-one setting. There's a lot of different ways that you can respond tactfully in a public in a public setting without answering a question that you're uncomfortable with. You don't have to be. You don't have to put in the emotional labor of divulging your personal beliefs in a space that doesn't feel safe for you. So, with that, I would secondly say set those boundaries. You can let that person know that. You have the right to difficult to have difficult conversations in private and in a supportive setting, um, and you can you can also use those I statements here um, with that person. So, for example, if we were to use nonviolent communication as a tool for communicating how that situation made us feel, we might say something like. You know, uh, when you asked me that question on the spot in front of everyone, I felt disrespected and I felt I felt nervous. I need to feel safe when I'm sharing my thoughts on personal matters and beliefs. In the future, could you please not ask me those questions in public? Notice how I'm using I statements. I'm talking about how I feel 
and how and what I need. And I'm also making it clear with a request at the end of what I need that person to do instead. Those are the four steps of nonviolent communication. And they're, again, it's a great, clear tool for effective communication. I think in addition to what you can do concretely, like setting boundaries and using I statements, I also think about adjusting our mindset. So you can think about if, if the other person felt no remorse putting you on the spot, why should you feel compelled to answer a question for this person? You know, did they give it a second thought when putting you on the spot? Probably not. So ask yourself, what is making you feel obligated to answer this question? See, what can happen is, especially when we grow up in environments or in families um, or with parents who are narcissistic, um, which is the population that I tend to work with, or we're in familial or romantic relationships with a narcissist, we can get caught up in people-pleasing. And people-pleasing is an adaptive coping technique that we learn, which helps us survive our surroundings and our environment. You've probably heard of the fight or flight. Um, fight or flight are trauma responses, but there are a couple of other F words. So there's fawn and freeze, and those are also trauma responses. So fawning in particular includes people-pleasing and and being conflict avoidant. And we learn to people please in order to keep the narcissist in our lives happy, to protect ourselves from narcissistic rage. So we learn to walk on eggshells, putting our needs on the back burner in order to please everyone else. This is why saying, you know, something as simple as I'm not comfortable with that is so difficult for us because we're not used to standing up for ourselves or using our voice. But you don't owe a response to this person. You can set a boundary if you're uncomfortable. Yes, thank you so much. And I was just thinking about like uh, that this particular situation like a little bit further, like let's say you do say that, yeah, I'm not comfortable like giving you a response right now. And then they go on and say, hey, come on, don't be so boring. Why, why can't you like, like, just, just say, just say, there's nothing bad that can happen if you just say, and then like, it can be like extremely hard after that as well, because not being used to saying those kind of things, like I'm not comfortable right now with this. And then they just, you know, <laughs> try to still make you engaged. Yeah, that continuous pushing up against our boundaries is consistent. So that's where it really comes back to setting those boundaries. And I always say setting boundaries is two parts. One, it's setting the boundary and two, it's enforcing the boundary. So you've set the boundary, you've said, hey, I'm not comfortable talking about this. And then they push up against that boundary. They're testing it to see if it, it'll break. So that's where enforcing the boundary comes into play and saying, I've, I've mentioned, I've already said, I'm not comfortable sharing with this. I'm going to change the subject now, or please don't ask me again. It's standing firm. They're feeling comfortable pushing up against your boundary. We should feel firm setting that boundary. It's, it's easier said than done. I know it's hard, but yeah, I, I always think of those boundaries as setting boundaries as those two parts, setting and enforcing. Mm. 
Like Dr. Taylor said, setting boundaries consists of two parts, setting and enforcing them. Also, when setting boundaries with high-conflict people and narcissistic people, it might be helpful for you to know about the psychological concept called extinction burst. I have mentioned this before in other episodes, for example in the talk with Jebin Philip in the episode number 48, but let me quickly explain this concept here again if you haven't heard of it before. An extinction burst is a behavioral phenomenon that occurs when there is an increase in the frequency or intensity of the unwanted behavior. For example, abusive people see you setting boundaries with them as unwanted behavior, because of course they would like to keep you in a state of mind where you believe that you have no right to set boundaries of any kind. So you setting a boundary is the unwanted behavior here. For example, consider a child who has learned that crying will result in receiving attention from their parents. If the parents stop responding to the child's crying, the child may initially cry more frequently or more intensely in an attempt to get the reinforcement they have become accustomed to receiving. Over time, the crying will decrease and eventually stop as the child realizes that it's no longer effective in getting the attention they desire. So, an extinction burst is characterized by an initial increase in the frequency or intensity of the behavior before it eventually decreases and stops. In the context of abusive, toxic and narcissistic behavior, you should expect these extinction bursts to happen when you start to modify your behavior, for example because you start to set boundaries that you have not set before. It's important to remain consistent and keep setting these boundaries to encourage the desired behavior to take hold. Of course, when setting boundaries, the desired outcome would be that people start to respect these boundaries, but in the case of abusive, toxic and narcissistic people, this is unlikely to happen. What can happen instead is that they might end the relationship with you when they notice that they cannot control and use you to meet their own selfish needs anymore. This is an important thing to be aware of, just so you do not have high expectations that they might start to respect your boundaries, as this might never happen. And I think that's that's very important thing to uh, like uh, think about because first of all, then you kind of have to prepare yourself. Okay, it's not just that I say it; it's not just that I set the boundary. I have to be be prepared to maintain it and enforce it, and that also makes you like. I hope it also makes you think: What are the kind of boundaries that I am? able to set? Are there, for example, some boundaries that for some reason I wouldn't be able to enforce? Like, I think, or what do you think? Do you need to think about from that point of view as well? Can you give me an example of what you're thinking about? I'm thinking about, for example, mm, uh, let's say my boundary is I want to go no contact with my narcissistic mother. But Mm -hmm. then I also realize that Uh, Well, I have siblings who are still very young and they live with their mother and I wouldn't want to cut contact with them. So that's kind of, I think, a little bit stupid of me to try to set the no contact boundary and even, for example, say that, hey, I don't want to communicate with you anymore. But then I obviously I would need to contact her about seeing my siblings again. Like, yeah, boundaries like that, because then... I feel like it would send a message to my narcissistic mother that I am just saying things but not following through. I see what you're saying. Yes. Uh, Yeah, I I definitely agree with what you're saying. 
And I would also say that we can be, our, our, our boundaries can shift and change and that's okay too. We have the power to change our minds and, um, and to change our boundaries when we need to. So if setting a certain boundary works for you in the moment and you do want to go no contact, but then later you realize that's actually not working for you, maybe you, you readjust that boundary and you say, okay, I'm not going to go no contact with her. I'm going to go limited contact with her because I still want access to my siblings, but I'm going to still have some limits with her. So you can, you can always change your mind. That's okay. But I, to your point, being clear about your messaging to your narcissistic mother is going to be really key so that she doesn't think that she can press up against your boundaries. So I think that being clear is, is really important in that, um, in that scenario and in all scenarios really, but with when setting boundaries, being clear about what you're wanting and being clear if you are changing your mind, I think is key. Mm-mm. Okay, great. And yeah, I think that was so important. It, it was so important that you said that we have the right to change our minds because I have often also heard that, okay, why do you keep changing your mind? mind? Like, why do you do that? Don't do that. That's like, I don't know, unfair towards me that you just keep changing whenever you want to. Like, you are so selfish. <laughs> what would you say to someone who is going through this? I would say I'm sorry you're going through that that sounds really, really hard and like another manipulation tactic to keep you within their control, Mm -hmm. to maintain control. You can't change your mind. Who says that? Of course you can change your mind, (laughs) but it's just that they don't want you to change your mind. They want to maintain control. They want to keep you small because that keeps them in power. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you so much. Then we have uh, we have catastrophizing is when someone assumes that the worst will happen. Abusive people often use it as a manipulation tactic. For example, imagine the abusive person in your life didn't want you to go to the gym by yourself, so they said you are going to you are going to go there, get in great shape, and then cheat on me. This would be considered catastrophizing. How can someone protect themselves from this type of manipulation? So number one is recognizing when this manipulation tactic is happening. Just being aware of when someone is using catastrophizing is so important um, because this can help you to see it for what it is and not get caught up in the fear and anxiety that it can create. So when you see it, identify it and label it for yourself. You can say something like, ah, here they go again. This is a manipulation tactic. I'm not gonna get caught up in this or allow it to sway me from what's important. Yeah, the other thing I would say is stick to your values without being swayed. Um, you know, you can say something either to your, you can say something to yourself or, or to the other person, like I'm going to the gym for my physical health or to feel good about myself and to move my body and keep myself healthy. This is for me, not for anyone else. I need you to respect my choices. So really taking ownership over 
your choices and your behavior and not allowing the other person to make you feel manipulated into doing something for their benefit as opposed to yours. And then I would say with this, um, it's because this is so hard, practice self-care, practice taking care of yourself and engaging in activities that help you feel calm and grounded in the face of something like catastrophizing, which can make us feel like the ground is shifting underneath our feet. Um, you practice taking care of yourself and, and doing what you need to feel grounded in something that feels so ungrounding. And then of course, what would my response be without telling, without, without saying to, to set boundaries? Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, setting boundaries with this person, calling their behavior out for what it is um, and letting them know that you're not gonna tolerate it and you have the right to make your own decisions. That's what I would say to that one. Thank you so much. Today, we had some great questions and great answers. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. And thank you, Taylor, so much for coming to this episode and answering all these questions. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.